I uh, told the men in the kitchen how much I appreciated the meals and that if they decide to move to Peachtree City, <laughs> that I wanted them to come to my church. So I even tried to bribe them because we have the big kitchen. We have people in our church that work for the Chick-fil-A headquarters. Chick-fil-A furnished our kitchen. You should see it. Uh, Everything is stainless. I mean, it's gorgeous. So anyway, but I don't think they're going to (laughs) come. I also, a couple of people have commented about my accent. I don't think I have an accent, but... (laughs) Everybody else in the world thinks I have an accent. (laughs) One time, the the first publisher of the the, of the Excellent Wife, my first book, is in Bemidji, Minnesota. And but they actually don't talk like that. They just are perfect. Their accent is perfect. So it's Jan and Stan Haley. And um, he owns a printing business, and then she started this publishing company. So a couple of years into this, uh, and I I would talk to them on the phone, but I had never met them at that point. And um, I called up there, and Stanley answered the phone. And he said, Focus Publishing, this is Stanley. He said, Focus Publishing. And I said, Stanley? Uh, oh, no. Well, what did I say? <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Um, oh, he answered the phone, and I just said, Stanley. That's all I said. And he said, Martha. I said, how did you know? He said, you have got to be kidding. <laughs> then I found out they were making fun of me. And uh, so once I got to know them better, they fessed up that when we would talk on the phone and we would hang up and I would say, bye, (laughs) and they would say, bye, and hang up and say, bye. (laughs) So now we both say, bye. So I don't know what they're talking about. But anyway, and we have a new music minister at our church, and he's from New York, upstate New York. And uh, I'm trying to teach him to talk, too. (laughs) And I say, look, I'm trying to help you. And I can say something, and he can copy me, but he will not say it from the pulpit. I don't know. But that's how we all talk down there. Okay. We have, here's our last session, and we've talked about man who thinks he's most high. We talked about God who is most high. And then I want to talk about how then should we respond to God to have a high view of God. We talked about a man-centered view of God results in a low view of God. It robs God of his glory. A God-centered view results in a high and proper view. 
It gives God the glory that he is due. It reminds me of what John the Baptist said of the Lord Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. So all that we do or think, everyday mundane things, uh, actions such as eating or drinking or cleaning your house, is to be exclusively for the glory of God. Uh, so I want to give you a ton of biblical ways to glorify God. And I, I adapted this from uh, Thomas Watson, his book, Body of Divinity. He was a Puritan author. And then my pastor, John Crotz. And then there's a little bit of me thrown in here. But it's just a lot of questions. And as we're going through these... Just do a little soul searching and mark the ones that you know that you need to go back and revisit, that you know you need to go back and pray about it. You need to think about it. You need to look up the scripture. Now, there's so much scripture here. I'm not going to have time to read them all. So I will read most of the ones on the main points, but for the sake of the uh tape the recording i will uh just cite the reference that i'm not going to read just so that people are listening they can look it up for themselves the first one is to aim your life exclusively at god's glory romans 14 verses 7 and 8 It says, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And then in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, Paul wrote... uh, Philippians 1, starting in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. All right, now listen to these questions. Do you prefer... God's glory above all other things. Matthew 6:33. Are you content that God's will should take place though yours is crossed? Matthew 26:39 and John 12:28. Are you content to be outshined by others as long as God is glorified? Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Are you tenderly concerned that God is glorified in all of life? Relationships with your husband, the elders in the church, your family, your friends, your secret thoughts. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Are you hurt when God is dishonored or his word is dishonored? Does it bother you? 
Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. So aiming your life exclusively at God's glory. The second one is worship the God of glory. Uh, let's look at Daniel 4, verses 34 through 37. Now, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, and he's the one that brought his army down and took Daniel and um, uh, the others in the southern kingdom uh, off as slaves, as captives. Uh, We got uh, to go to, uh, when we went on that Reformation tour, it started in Berlin, and we had a whole day to just do whatever we wanted to do. And there's the Pergamum Museum. And I don't know if any of you have been there. I had never been there before. But they have uh, the uh, the Ishtar Gate of Babylon in there. And it was just unbelievable. You can look it up on the Internet and just see pictures of it and see how big it is and how bright and beautiful it is. Daniel probably walked through that gate. We don't know, but probably Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's probably how they took them in. And um, it was just amazing being there and just looking at it and thinking that that Daniel was here. It's the same place. I mean, it wasn't in London, but I mean, in uh, where where was that? Berlin. But... um, it was the same gate. Worshiping the God of glory. In Daniel 4, starting verse 34. Uh, most of you probably know the story, but Nebuchadnezzar was proud. And he was so proud. And Daniel had a dream And in his dream, God told Daniel uh, to warn Nebuchadnezzar. Or Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. You you can tell it's the end of the day. Uh, And so God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream. And the, the interpretation was, if you don't humble yourself before God, then he's going to humble you. And you're going to lose your mind. And you're going to be like a wild animal out eating grass. And uh, at the end of that time, and that happened, and at the end of that time period, his reason returned. Now listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But he, God, does according to his will in the host of heaven among the inhabitants of earth And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then 
his reason was restored to him. His uh, sovereignty over his kingdom was restored. And in verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. I'm going to get me a cough drop, but it's sticky, so I have to be careful. Because if I get my fingers sticky, we'll be stuck on one page the whole time. So that was Daniel 4, 34 through actually 37. Let's look at Psalm 66, 1 through 4. The psalmist said, Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, How awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. And then Psalm 86, verses 9 through 12. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. And then Psalm 102 and verse 15. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth, your glory. All right. Now, here's the questions. We're, saying, we're talking about worshiping the God of glory. Do you think about the words of hymns and truly sing them to the Lord? You know, he's watching us. He... He is our audience. God is. Um, do you bow before him, acknowledging him as God and you as his creature? Do you affirm in your, oh, that's Romans 1, verse 25. Do you affirm in your heart teaching from God's word? Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Do you concentrate on what the pastor is preaching or teaching? I take notes. Usually it's in my Bible, but that helps me to pay attention. Second uh, Peter 3, verse 18 is a command. It says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you concentrate on the Lord and what he has done, or does your mind wander to yourself? and other cares. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
Do you have a reverential awe of God? Are you respectful to him? Psalm 22, verse 23. So, worshiping the Lord, the God of glory. And then number three, sincerely confess your sin. In Matthew 5, and verse 4, it, Jesus said, that was part of the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, blessed are those who mourn. He also said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who see their sin and then they are grieved over it. They are mourning over it. And Luke 23, verses 39 through 41. One of the criminals who were hanged there with Jesus was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Uh, sincerely seeing your sin for what it is and confessing it. Do you find yourself sinning less and less, but being more and more grieved over current sin? So you should be able to look back from the time you got saved until now and see growth. Not sinless perfection, but you should be able to say, well, okay, I am better. I have more self-control. I have more faith. I have more love for others. I have more mercy than I did. Um, And uh, we should, when we do sin, we should be more discerning about it. And it should be less and less. Are you willing? Well, that's Romans seven fifteen and verses 24 and 25. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to turn from sin, even if it includes seeking accountability? Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then without groveling and vain regrets, because we all have regrets, without groveling in them, are you deeply ashamed of your past sin? First uh, Timothy 1, 15 and 16. And do you exalt God by taking him seriously? Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4. And then number four, we are to believe or be believing in him, not just for salvation, but trusting him throughout your life. Uh, Romans 4, verse 20 and 21, Paul uses the example of Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 20, yet with respect, well, verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, and I, I just remember laughing out loud the first time I read this because Abraham was so old when Sarah got pregnant. 
Now his body is good as dead since he was about a 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised he was able to perform. Therefore, it, he was talking about Abraham's faith, was also credited to him as righteousness. He was saved by faith, not by works. Circumcision came later, not by any outward thing that he had done. And then 1 John 5, verse 10 It says, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him, has made God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his Son. We are to be believing in him. Do you trust God with your life and your loved ones? Proverbs 3, verse 5. Do you believe that God is good? Psalm 16, verse 2 and 25, verse 8. You know, he's good to not make us live in a sin-cursed world for eternity. That we don't, he will take us out of here. Have you thought about death and how you can trust him to take you through it? That he cannot lie, he is all powerful and he will carry out his promises regardless of how we feel. Psalm 23 verse 4, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for thou art with me. Do you realize that the presence of God and the truth of his word is reality even if it goes against how you feel or what you can see? Hebrews or what you've been taught or hear on the radio Hebrews, or news, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And then there is fruitful obedience to God. I want to check my time here and so I won't get goofed up fruitful obedience to God Uh, John 15 verse 8 because if I don't check it I can just talk and talk John 15 8 Jesus said my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples Um, And then Matthew 5, verse 16. Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. um, Peter is writing to Christians and he said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right. Is God uh, is doing what God wants more important to you than what you want to do? Romans 12, verse 1. Are you willing to obey God even if it means, now this is a hard one, even if it means biblically exposing a family member's sin? Matthew 10, verse 37. Can you honestly sing the hymn, Oh, How I Love Jesus, and mean it because you're being obedient to his word? 1 John 5, 3. Are you faithfully obedient even when you would rather be doing something else? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Do you do your work heartily, however boring or seemingly unspiritual it is? As unto the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 23. As a new Christian, for some reason, I just hated doing the laundry. Now, I had a washer and dryer. And it was not that big of a deal. But I just didn't want to do it. I didn't mind cleaning the house. I didn't mind cooking. But I just, I mean, I did it, but I didn't. And Sanford could be out in the hot sun cutting the grass and I wanted him to be in there helping me <laughs> do the laundry. I didn't tell him, but because uh, he said, okay, he would say, okay, I'll do that. You go outside and cut the grass. But this verse, doing your work heartily is unto the Lord, really convicted me as a new believer. And I asked God to forgive me. And I started singing praise songs when I was doing the laundry and thanking him for the laundry. Are you obedient even in your thoughts? Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Let your mind dwell on these things, thoughts that are true and right and God-honoring and excellent and praiseworthy of God. Are you obedient in public or church? But it is a different story at home. There should be no difference. Romans 12, verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And then number six, grateful contentment in the state in which God has placed you. Um, Psalm 100, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing. Um, Philippians 4, verse 13, said he, Paul said he had learned to be content in all circumstances. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you truly desire to glorify God, even when it means physical or emotional pain for you or a loved one? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 10. Do you pray? That God will use you for his glory, whatever that means. Now, this, this could have been the theme of this weekend because you've heard me say that so many times. 
1 Peter 3, 14 through 17. Do you believe that God is the only one who can know how you can glorify him the most? Job 23, verse 10 Job said, when he has tried me, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Will you stay single if you're single or stay married if you're married, if you don't have biblical grounds for divorce? Because that is God's will for you at the moment. First Thessalonians 5, 18, I, I memorized that early on and I have my counselees memorize it a lot. It says, be thankful for all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Is your first thought to thank God when a child is suddenly thrust upon you? It was Job's first thought. He said in Job 1, 21, 22, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed. He worshiped God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Do you feel sorry for yourself if things don't turn out the way you hoped? 1 Peter 1, verse 13. And then number seven, growing spiritually. 2 Peter 3:18. that's the verse that says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a command. Does your life show others what God's power can do? 1 Corinthians 15.10 Can you look back over your years as a Christian and see growth? 2 Peter 1, 3-8 Do you long to grow more and more like the Lord Jesus or are you content to rest on your laurels, 1 Peter 2, 2. Would even unbelievers who know you say that you are changing, Titus 2, verse 10. Do you deeply desire God's word? Psalm 119, verse 47. The psalmist says, I shall delight in your commands, which I love. Do you want God to show you your sin? And to prune you, even if you must suffer embarrassment in the process or admit when you are wrong. Psalm 119, verse 71. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. I recently had a, um, the details really don't matter. But I said something in a counseling situation in front of a bunch of people, that I still think I was right, that it was true. But it got back to another counselor who um, had been in the meeting, the original meeting, and I was not in. So that she sent me an email and reproved me. You're answering a matter before you heard it. You didn't talk to us first. Well, I wanted to kick into teaching mode and explain to her what they did wrong. And 
Um, so I did that in a letter, but I didn't send it. I let my husband read it, and I let my pastor read it separately. They both said, you can't send this letter. <laughs> You're just defending yourself. A humble person will admit when they're wrong. So the Lord helped me, and I wrote a much shorter letter, and I just said, you're right. I was not there. I did not talk to you. Will you forgive me? And because I'm a prideful person, it was galling. It really was because I still think I'm right. (laughs) But I should have handled it differently, biblically. And um, so we, you, you get embarrassed when somebody reproves you. And sometimes it's easy to say, you're right. I had a counseling long time ago. She and her husband had a terrible uh, marriage. And the wife would just get angry and do all kinds of things. And her husband... She would argue, and she a lot of times she was the one that was wrong. And she, and later she would think about it and admit it to me. I said, "Well, you need to tell your husband and ask his forgiveness, and tell him you're right. I should not have said that, or I should not have said that that way." She said, "I tried that, and I opened my mouth, and nothing would come out." I said, let's practice. (laughs) You're right, and I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? So we practiced. I don't know that she ever said that around her husband. But that's how our pride is. It just makes us want to defend ourselves, prove that we're right. Are you standing up, number eight, for God's truth? Ephesians 4, 13 through 15 Uh, He's talking about spiritual gifts so that we can grow and help each other grow in the Lord. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are to no longer be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. Doctrine is just simply what the Bible teaches about whatever subject you want to name. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So standing up for God's truth. Do you speak up regarding God's truth? Or are you like the people who say, I have faith, but it's private? Well, you shouldn't be private. You shouldn't be obnoxious, but you should speak the truth in love. Um, Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The righteous are as bold as the lion. So we need to speak the truth in love. Do you study the scriptures diligently so that you will know where to look to find key passages 
or are you unable to find passages without asking for help? Second Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed. Now, when I first started counseling, I had a cheat sheet. And I took a piece of paper and I wrote gospel. And I wrote, I looked up scripture, just put the reference, fear, hope, uh, being a godly wife, anger, different things. And I taped it. I had an, a little desk. And I was working uh, at the Atlanta Biblical Counseling Center then. And I taped it on the front of the desk. Nobody could see it but me. And so when somebody would come in with an anxiety problem, I would look at my cheat sheet <laughs> and know what scripture to use. And after a while, if you do that long enough, you memorize it. So you don't have to keep looking it up. So it, same thing with the gospel. You need to be able to give a good, clear gospel presentation. When you do confront error, is it done in love with a gentle tone of voice? Or is it done in sinful pride to prove that you are right? Don't, don't argue with people. They don't understand. I've found that if you say things like, you might want to consider, that helps them to at least listen to what you're saying. You're not like in your face. You're wrong and I'm right, you know, that, that kind of thing. So confront it, but do it with a gentle tone of voice. Are you more concerned with standing up for God's truth or concerned about what others might think of you? Who do you really desire to glorify? So, I mean, people, some people are going to react negatively. Not everybody is going to love you uh, if you are a Christian. Some people will. Some people will be drawn to that. They'll come and ask you questions. Uh, I have family members that still are not saved, but sometimes they come and ask us questions because, well, what does the Bible say about, what, you know, whatever it is they're thinking about? If you don't know, say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out and find out somebody who does know. Do you see God's truth as a precious treasure to be carefully protected, lest others take from it. Second Timothy 1, 13 and 14. And then number nine, there's zeal for his name. Now, zeal is a mixture of love and anger, righteous anger. Uh, love for God and anger at sin to an intense degree. Uh, John 2, verse 14 and 17, those are the money changers where uh, it was when Jesus kicked them out of the temple. It was to fulfill a prophecy from the Old Testament that was written, zeal for thy father's house will consume me. Would people say of you, she's sincere in her faith? You know, when our daughter, Anna, she went to Columbia Bible College out of high school. And um, one of the 
her girlfriends who knew about me said, uh, wow, what's it like to have Martha Peace for your mother? She must be perfect. And Anna's rolling her eyes. She said, she's not. She sins. But I tell you what, she come, She asks God's forgiveness, and she comes and asks my forgiveness or whoever she has sinned against. She's not a hypocrite in that area. Do you grieve when you know of churches that have an outward form of religion but deny or compromise the truth? Second Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Do you speak up when someone uses the Lord's name in vain and say something like, please don't do that? Now, sometimes it's appropriate to say something, sometimes it's not. But God's name is very precious. We're to speak to him in a respectful way. Exodus 27. Are you passionate in your love for God? Matthew 22, 37 through 39, that's where he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you pray and ask God to grant people repentance because you want him to be glorified in their lives? 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. And then we talk about uh, evangelism. Galatians 4, verse 19. Um, let me read this. Galatians 4, verse 19 says, Paul is writing to Christians. He said, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He wanted to be there with them. He wanted to share. But he said, but I'm perplexed about you. And they had dropped into legalism and thinking that that would earn their salvation. Thomas Watson, in his Puritan book, he said, we break into Satan's prison and turn them from to God. Can you give at a moment's notice a good, clear, God-honoring gospel presentation? Can you readily find verses? Now, we know the gospel, but can you really open your Bible and share the gospel with other people and use scripture to back up what you're saying? And if you can't do that easily, then... I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want you to do that. And you can use the steps that I used last night when I gave the gospel. You can use parts of my salvation worksheets. You can talk to your pastor. He can give you uh, something to use. And then you write it down. And I would just do step by step and a logical thing. And then I would look it up in my Bible, and I would start on point number one, like all of sin falls short of the glory of God, if that's where you're going to start. And then where is it? And mark it in your Bible. And then put there in that first point, like if you're saying God is holy, that should probably be your first point. Then uh, if you're going to use Isaiah 6, where uh, Isaiah saw the vision of God sitting on the throne, then write there in your Bible and put, now turn to 
Romans 3.23, or Ephesians 2, man is dead in his trespasses and sin. Practice it out loud and be ready always to give an account of the hope that is in you. So you can carry it in your purse. It's, it's no shame to get your notes out and share it with somebody because you never know when you're going to have just at a moment's notice an opportunity to give the gospel. Do you look for ways to turn a conversation toward the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Do you understand that you are not responsible, and this is important, not responsible for the person believing, but you are responsible to present the claims of Christ, that perhaps God might grant them faith in him. Romans 10 verse 14 and 15. It was a tremendous relief for me. I remember uh, Sanford used to be an elder at our church, and one time he taught on evangelism. And he explained to us biblically that we are not responsible to nail a decision, that God has to grant them repentance and faith, and but we are responsible to tell them the truth. And um, it was just like this burden lifted off of my neck. I was like, whoa, it doesn't depend on me. It 100% depends on God. It was a relief, and it just freed me up. It freed all of us up the night we were there, and we heard that, to uh, be more evangelistic than we were. Number 11, are you willing to suffer for God or die for God? First Peter 4, 12 through 16 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Uh, there's a verse in, I think, First or Second Timothy. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. It's going to happen. It's hopefully not terrible like the Apostle Paul went through. But um, people are going to misunderstand. I had good friends tell me that I had lost my mind. Now, I was crazy before God saved me, but um, I just realized they cannot understand. God has to open their eyes to understand this. Do, do you believe the Lord is worth dying for? Would you consider it a privilege to be used for his glory in that way? Romans eight eighteen. Have you asked him? for the opportunity to suffer for his sake, if that would glorify him the most in your life. Philippians 3.10. And then you want to direct all credit given to us on to God. 
First Corinthians 15:10, Paul said it is by the grace of God. And, and you know, he had extraordinary gifts. But he said, it is by the grace of God that I am what I am. When someone thanks you for a job well done, if appropriate to say something out loud, turn the thanks to God. Yes, God is good to use this for his glory. Psalm 115 verse 1. When someone praises you or thanks you and it's not appropriate to say something out loud to them, think, Lord, this is really a sacrifice of praise to you. You deserve all the credit for this gift or talent that you have given me. Psalm 19 verse 14. And that realize that apart from God, you can do nothing. Any ability that you have to work or earn money or to think and plan to help others even live and breathe another day is a grace gift from God. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7. When when I wrote the Excellent Wife book, I was unprepared for what happened. Uh, it um, In the places that the Lord placed it, it was really catching on. One of those places was Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur is. And uh, now you've got to think, this was 22 years ago, and they... Uh, called me and asked me to come do a women's conference. I thought I would die. And it's a big church. And I had just started doing stuff like this. And um, so I said yes. And I prepared. I practiced out loud. I timed myself because I didn't want to go over or under or whatever. And um, I got, the Lord helped me to get through it. When it was over, I went down, and then there was a line formed of ladies that wanted to meet me and have me sign a book or whatever, or just say thank you. I was, I, I was very uncomfortable with that. I just, I just wasn't even thinking such a thing. And I did not want the attention to be brought to me. And um, I wanted it to be on the Lord. And my friend Mary Beth had flown out to Los Angeles with me, and she was there with me. And so, I mean, I was, I thanked people, and I was gracious. But when we got on the plane, I said, I'm not doing any more conferences. And she said, why not? I said, because... I don't, I'm a very uncomfortable with this. People thanking me and coming up to me. And, and uh, she said, well, if you met an author whose Christian book, God had used their book to help them, would help you, wouldn't you want to thank them? And I said, yeah. So she said, get over it. <laughs> She's one of those friends. I didn't get over it. I came home. I molded over. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And But I started praying. And um, I finally concluded that, well, that Mary Beth was right. That was galling enough. 
but um, I, I decided, Lord, when somebody says thank you for something I had done that you had enabled me to do, um, I'm just going to, I may not go into a great detail with them, but what I'm thinking in my heart is this is a sacrifice of praise to you. And then after that, it, I was fine. So if you want to thank me for something, it'll be fine because we will be praising God for it. So giving all the credit given to us on to God. And then last one is praying. Matthew said, pray then this way. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew, pray then this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Realize that the basis for all petitions to God is his glory. John fourteen thirteen. pray for God's will to be done in your life and the lives of others. Colossians 1, verse 9. Pray that God will be glorified by your every thought, your every word, and your every deed. Colossians 1, verse 10 through 12. So let me just conclude by saying, to him, Revelation 1, verse 6, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. What What is your view of God? What is it? Is it high or low? Are you bowing before him in every area of your life? Are you just using him to meet your needs? God is holy and awesome, and we should approach him with incredible respect. We should bow before him. We should see ourselves here to serve him. And I want you to be discerning. I started this out by saying I want you to be discerning about a man-centered view of God and then, in contrast, a God-centered view. And I made a last chart. And the left side is man-centered and the right side is God-centered. A man-centered view, you think you take the initiative in your salvation. A God-centered view gives God the credit for taking the initiative in your salvation. A man-centered view, God is here to meet your identity needs. Instead, God is here to glorify himself. A man-centered view, God needs you. A God-centered view is God needs no one but chose to create us for his own glorious purpose. Man-centered, you grow as a Christian by getting in touch with your deepest emotional pain and then realizing that your significance or your identity or your worth is in Christ. Instead, thinking, you should think, you grow as a Christian by turning from your sinful self-focus, obeying God's word, whether you feel like it or not. Man-centered view, you seek the accolades of others. God-centered, you seek the glory of God. Man-centered, you seek love and approval and esteem. A God-centered view, you repent of your self-focus and seek to give love to others and to God. So let's pray. Father, we want 
to worship you as you should be worshipped. We want to have a high view of you. We want to see you as Daniel saw you, as God Most High, the God of Heaven. Father, we are in awe of you, your majesty, your perfections, your love for us. We worship you this afternoon, and we love you, and we want to be used for your glory, whatever that means. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.